Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. This panel has been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and presenters at Metatopia 2019. Episode 263, Games in Education. Presented by Jennifer Gutterman, Tim Blank, and Sean Rusky. Hello and welcome to Games in Education. Uh, yes, can we shut those doors, please? <laughs> Wait till we get shut. Uh, it's pretty loud in the back. So. Okay. Cool. Uh, so my name is Jennifer Gutterman. I am a professor of game design. I run the game design digital uh, game design program at Manchester Community College, and I'm the visiting professor of animation and game design at Hampshire College, where I focus on world building, concept development, and uh, visual development, uh, and I design board games. My name is Tim Blank. Um, I am um, a game designer primarily, but I also do teach. Um, I teach game design at MIT and Northeastern University. Um, I also run a nonprofit called Boston Fig, where uh, one of our foc- focuses, foci, of the program is to uh, provide games education for underserved population as well as for up and coming designers. My name is Sean Roski. I'm from Ottawa, Canada. I'm with the Ottawa Carleton District School Board. I work directly with kids in autism units and behavioral intervention programs. I'm currently working at a high school where I run the RPG club with uh, the autistic kids uh, and mainstream kids that are interested in the program. So I'm, I'm more hands-on and I'm an advocate for RPGs. In the, I'll just continue on because um, that was the last question. Sure. Yeah, go for it. So I'm, I'm an advocate for increasing role-playing games, uh, LARPs, and improv in the classroom and uh, in therapeutic situations as well. I'm connected with some therapeutic initiatives down in the States. Um, I was going to bring actually one of those guys here, but uh, so I can't speak to that part, but I'll just talk more about what I'm doing up in, in Canada. Um, so we're, we're about applied learning initiatives, really. So we want to, um, I, I see role-playing games and those things as tools to aid pedagogy and, uh, and, and I stand firm that they're really powerful tools and uh, it's interesting that we have the word gamification on the panel description and it's a word I don't actually like. So I don't know where you guys want to talk about that because I don't, I, I don't see role-playing games as a decoration around the, the learning plan or the lesson, I see them as the the medium itself. So uh, uh, that, that's the, yeah. Let's do that. I'll, I'll so make a sperm <laughs> on that. You guys don't. Go. 
and then we could talk. Um, so gamification, at least for uh, my experience, is not essentially um, taking games and playing games and then saying that they, that game in an educational setting is gamification. Gamification is using game design principles in the learning process to help uh, help people learn better in different situations and different scenarios. So when we talk about gamification, especially at Hampshire College, it's about uh, using game design principles about uh, risk and reward, about uh, cooper cooperation and cooperative gameplay, immersive techniques in the classroom setting to help uh, students learn in different ways that are not you're from Canada, so it's different. Here in the U.S., there's like all tests, you know. So at, Hampton, at, at, at MCC, at Manchester Community College, is a traditional uh, community college. It's outside of Hartford, Connecticut. It's at-risk populations. Students have gone through public school where they've been taught how to be a cog in a machine and listen to uh, people and do what they're told. Um, and they want very specific uh, feedback like grades, at, like numerical values applied to their functionality. At Hampshire College, it's a uh, open system, so there there are no majors. Students design their own majors, and it's evaluation based. There's no grades, so we give a written evaluation, and students work with uh, faculty at level one. I'm sorry, division one, which is your freshman year, division two, which is sophomore and junior year, and division three, which is your senior year, and almost like a, a master's thesis project. So it's been really interesting to bring those philosophies back and forth between those two school settings, but it definitely, um, for me as an educator and as a game designer, definitely reminds me that what we term things for some people, like gamification, isn't always the same thing for every scenario or every, every situation. Um, so. I, I would add to that, actually, and on the therapeutic side, uh, which we're, we're not focusing on here, but they have a, a strong problem. On the, <laughs> on the therapeutic side, I've learned that they have a strong problem with talking about uh, play therapy and, and using that term, because that term is often used to talk about just working with children, particularly young children. But there are, are movements to try and encompass using role-playing <laughs> games and active learning um, tools to encompass all of that, you know, that could be the umbrella term, rather than gamifying therapy, which is problematic. What was the question? We have games that are not, that, 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 that are not RPG, they're board games mm -hmm. for educational purposes. Are you going to be talking about that too? We can talk about RPG. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, no, no. I, I design board games. We are both board game designers. I design yeah. board yeah. games yeah. and video yeah. games. Yeah, okay. yeah. 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 sorry. I, I, I make I larks and rolling games. You went off on a tangent, so I said, yeah. you can bring them back. Um, at any point, if anyone has a question, please interject, and we can make this more of a discussion based rather than us just talking at you. So we'll, we'll try to catch everyone, but again, it is Sunday after a very long weekend, and sometimes we miss things. Um, but yes? Well, just on the point happening here, it seems like there's two threads, and yeah. these threads I've heard in multiple rooms outside this one. One is, do we use play as therapy? Do we use it to teach soft skills and people skills? Or do we use game mechanics to do educational learning objectives in standard classrooms? And those two conversations seem yep. to be present now in the room. Which, where would we like to go with them? Um, before we separate them further, 
they don't have to be a separate conversation. Yeah, there is, yeah. I found, like, as I've been on a lot of panels this weekend, that everyone's like, well, I'm an RPG person or I'm a board game person, and the, the never the twain shall meet. And that's not true. Game development and game design, it doesn't matter what the output is going to be, it matters about the game development itself in terms of game design. But in terms of, of deployment of that game, that is when you then consider the audience and the immersive play. And immersive play is not limited to RPGs or LARPs. It is also the immersion or user experience of board games and card games and how people interact with that. So I do a lot of work with accessibility and inclusivity. Um, and while I do that specifically in my game design, in my teaching of game design to people who are learning about game design, we talk about that whatever game that they are working on. And then if you then want to apply gamification or game mechanics or game ideals and principles to the classroom setting, then considering the deployment is your classroom. So are you deploying in an immersive learning situation where you're having back and forth and there is uh, more of a, a LARP type situation or are you sitting down with you know docu like reading something and then people are responding to reading that. So all of those things in the classroom setting go the range of all the like what we think of as traditional games here. So hopefully when we talk about this people are just like, well I'm not gonna listen to the part that has to do with board games or RPGs. Uh, one of my questions is how do we get to get our games into schools? So that's for me is one of the key elements why I'm here. Okay, where, where, what's, what school systems are you looking to get into? Could is be it primary, could be secondary. I'm from it, Canada too, by the way. Is oh. it in Canada or in the United States? US. In the US. For now. So to get into public school systems, what you have to do is reach out to like-minded public school teachers who are willing to bring that into their, into their gameplay. And then they will be the, the, the vanguard of getting it into more, because what happens is once you get it into a classroom and someone is successful with it then when they go to their teaching conferences then they talk about it and in addition to that you can also go to the teaching conferences and say we would like to do a demonstration about how you can use this in your classroom and the other thing to keep in mind is that most public schools have no money so giving donating a set number of, of, of games so that they can start using it will entice them more likely to be able to to incorporate big in big picture. Hopefully that helps. I have a question about the intersectionality of educational games and mainstream games, mm -hmm. and it's super specific. Okay. Why isn't Wits and Wagers? Do you know Wits and Wagers? I know of it. Why yeah. is that not used in the classroom to teach probability? Why isn't the publisher taking a game that, that that's that amazing at teaching probability mm -hmm. and expected value and all these other things? Why, why isn't there more crossover between like a market like that? I can tell you why, because yeah, yeah. he, he hasn't connected with teachers who are willing to buy into the viability of using that in the classroom setting. We all agree, or right. game designers agree, that it's amazing. Right. But we come to it with a belief that games are cool. So why isn't the publisher going out there and giving free copies out to, you know what I mean? Like, is there, why isn't there more intersectionality between mainstream games Right. Like well, so I can for Wits and Wagers specifically. Yeah, yeah. That is a big box game that you are going to find in Target, that you are going to find in Walmart, and that's going to make a lot more money for them than spending their time and effort marketing okay. to public schools. Okay. Someone, throw a wrench in the works, but I think that uh, I'm in a lot of schools, and I don't think the teachers are particularly interested in teaching probability. Yeah. 
Like, what what age group are you considering pro- probability for? What's that? Like, what age group are you? Do you want to teach probability to? Middle school and high school. So you run into not only the desire whether or not the teacher is willing to, to teach that in that moment, but also the time. So they have, especially in U.S. school public school systems, they have so much material that they have to cover yeah, because yeah. they are more likely teaching for tests and you taking said the. Get it, you said get it, get it into the hands of the teachers and yeah. let them take them to the conferences. Right, well, yeah, you have to you have to entice them in some way. So uh, whether you're the publisher or the designer, you have to f- you have to consciously go out there and connect with these teachers to convince them yeah. to take the risk on your on your thing. So it's not yes. worth it. And and the other thing is that there are so many people trying to get schools and teachers to do so many things. Yes. Yeah. Like they're they're they just days, right? Well, but but also like everybody wants to be like here's this new you know educational whatever. And then after that, hold on, let me, if you're in a public school system, because I work for the state of Connecticut, it is so hard to change listed information in the catalog. It has to go through such a huge process that is so long to get it, like, released for everyone. And that's hard, and it's tiring, and when you don't get paid a lot of money, and you don't have any stuff, you have to be really, really invested in something, and now I will not I say, I also think in the U.S. school system, at least, there's such a focus on technology right now, too, where we have children who are at five and six years old using computers, doing PowerPoint presentations, and so when teachers are looking at what their learning outcomes are and the materials that they're going to use in order to achieve those learning outcomes, I think their first thought is to go directly to the technology. And when they think technology, they're not thinking board games. They're thinking video games, they're thinking computers, they're thinking programs. Um, And that's something that I think is really a big disservice to the students um, because we're seeing, you know, a lot of students that are coming out with really strong technological skills, but the soft skills that that board games teach um, are ones that are, are lacking. I mean, I, I'm in a doctoral program right now, and my research is on soft skills for undergraduate students, and there is lots of research out there showing that uh, undergraduate students don't have those soft skills, and video games don't necessarily teach that. Well, they, in fact, sometimes teach the opposite of Oh, I was just going to say, I used to be a, a teacher, but I taught in a private school, and the financial backing for the, the putting a, an existing shelf game from Target into schools is to go through helicopter parents yeah. in private schools, because they're going to want their kids to have an edge, they can play with their kids, yeah. they have the money to do it, and then that would get the ripple effect into public schools, because private right. schools are doing it. So, so you guys have some pilot initiatives happening down here. I've heard of, and I don't know all the details, but I've heard of there's a school where their entire curriculum is based on Minecraft. You guys have heard of this? No. no. I don't have the details, but <laughs> apparently <laughs> so. Some magical school. I'll continue spreading the rumor. This was on a panel I was on uh, yesterday. Okay. So um, apparently there's a school that is trying experimental uh, curriculum is using where everything is being taught through Minecraft somehow. I don't, I don't know the details, so you guys can Google that. And then there's other other countries that attempt um, other um, novel ways of approaching this. Like in Denmark, there's a school called like we call the LARP school. I can't pull the name out of my mind. It's in Danish. <laughs> there you go. Can you speak to it? No, I'm I'm It's called the It's a role 
Yeah, and there are amazing stories that come out of that. Like the, the students get really into it. They built an entire um, sort of medieval-like village in, on their school property where they play with, and uh, it's fascinating. So, and in Canada too, it's similar. The curriculum is top down. The province says what sets the curriculum. The teachers must uh, obey somehow, deliver what's been told. But there is leeway, and I guess going through the teachers may be one way, or simply we build a parallel system to the education system and try. I want to build a LARP school in Canada. I think that's amazing, and I'm, I'm, I'm pushing for that. What's the influence of politicians here in the education department? Like, I heard of Betsy DeVos. She's and horrible. I know, okay. I heard that too. I hate her lot. guts. But I, I don't want to each state. Is so there a secretary in each state that's responsible so for education? So there's, there's a department of education in every state, yep. and every state uh, department of education then disseminates rules and regulations to the superintendents of each school district. And then those, those rules and regulations are followed to some degree based on what they actually have to work with. So, um, and taxpayer money. So places that have more money get more stuff, and the places that have less money get less stuff. Warren, you want to say something? Uh, yeah, just to kind of uh, talk a little bit about um, the American uh, education system. So a couple years ago, I was working on a project to create um, a game for kids with autism or who are on the spectrum to learn those uh, social skills and kind of have that reinforcing positive experience you can have in a game to kind of reinforce the skills you can learn in life. And we thought, oh man, this would be a great thing to get into schools. So my friend, who was a lawyer, uh, went through to contact the Department of Education, uh, that then went through to contact the um, superintendent, that went through to contact the New York City DCAS, I forgot the name of it. And it all boiled down to, unfortunately, the political influence in America is not interested unless you present them something that has uh, medical backing and has years of data. So you have to come in with, all right, here is my psychologist or psychiatrist or uh, scientist XYZ that is backing this project that I'm working on. Also, here are the couple years of data that it has been used either by an independent teacher or through private fully funded study or through some kind of research and development. It costs money. I never thought of just giving copies to the teachers. We, we eventually shelved that project because we just didn't have the time or money to even begin it. But getting it into the public school system as an individual in America, unless you are wealthy or have the appropriate connections to medical or psychological professionals, is almost impossible. The, um, Even if you do, it's usually yeah, the, almost impossible. The, it's hard to get things to change in the American public school system. It is hard for, in big picture. In smaller pictures, that's why I suggest going and talking to individual teachers, because they are the ones who can if they see benefit in what you what you have, they are the ones who are going to take the risk to reap the reward of that benefit. But we also struggle in the U.S. Um, by a misunderstanding of board games and of RPGs and of LARPs and what they really mean in relation to the rest of the world. The rest of the world's like, oh yeah, these are great, and here we're like, those are just for children. Right? And by children, we mean they're, when they say that, they're not just saying those are for kids to learn from, that it's, it's a childish endeavor, so therefore we don't want to invest in it. 
So it's necessary for, to make bigger changes, you have to reach out to those who are doing it, who can then support your statements later. So you can say, well, this has been used in this classroom at the school system for the last year, and this is the positive response by that person. It's not the best system. It's not a good system at all. Never have mind. You, have, have you found ways to de-bias uh, games as a MD and like de-emphasize that like the games are only for kids, or find ways to translate so people start changing their? I thinking? think the word gamification, as much as some people here hate it, that is a word that carries with it that there is research behind it, that there is. Um, you know, it's a it's a corporate buzzword now. So, this these are things that these companies and and larger universities are doing right now. And so, if we can bring that into our classroom, like for everything that gamification stands for, you go up to a school principal and you say, you know, I want to gamify something in my classroom. They're going to tell you to run with it. Yeah. Um, How do you define gamification? Well, <laughs> <laughs> for that me, it's itself it is a game. Take the word back. It's, at the very basic level, it's introducing play into the classroom. Um, now, then we can go into how do we define play and how do we define bringing it into the classroom. Um, but there's, there are principles of game design that go into play. Um, and it's interesting. Um, so I teach when I teach at Hampshire College as part of the five college consortium, which includes UMass Amherst, which is the largest uh, largest state school in Massachusetts, and. I put in keywords to search for my students, and I'm like, all right, let's find game design, and invariably I get six or seven economics classes that come up, because they're using that keyword because those keywords are being used in business to help build systems that they're using. So how can we use that to our advantage? So we start to talk about, let's look at the words that, that, that like big business or administrative people might shy away from, and that's usually words like play, because our children are not allowed to play, right? They're no play. So if we start like putting forth like terminology like gamification, we are playing the game of the system to try to get things in place. Yes. But another thing about gamification, I mean, and this just sort of happens when anybody wants to do anything, there's always the like um, reduced to, to kind of stupid level version. Um, and I hear gamification often meaning usually in an electronic context, um, let's put in some achievement badges. Um, and, I mean, and also a lot of things that are built as educational games are like, this is really skills practice, but we're doing it in a turn-taking, dice-rolling yeah. kind of way. So like, there, there is also this, what what games really are, and sort of what, this, what things sometimes get called games, and especially gamification, can be this very distorted, like, reduced thing. So, I hate to say this, but I'm going to say in this next statement, but the United States and places in the United States are often driven by money. And it is true, and I hate it, but in my research for the state of Connecticut, uh, the game industry is a $12 billion industry. And when I took those numbers to the state of Connecticut and I said, I want to expand my game design program, they're like, well, what does it do for the state of Connecticut? And I'm like, well, it's $12 billion. $2 billion of it is just analog games. So $10 billion of it is digital games worldwide, and it may not be in Connecticut right now, but we can use it to drive it to Connecticut. So 
there is an education that has to happen to the people you're talking to about what gamification is, what games are, and what it actually is bringing to you, and also being aware of what things are going to appeal to those people that you're talking to. And in the United States, it's often money, right? So it's an industry that makes money. You don't, it's not monopoly. It's not risk, it might be risk, but it's not mo monopoly. And it's not these things, it is these ideas and this research and this stuff behind it and here are the places we can pull from it. And we just have to continue to build up this education, game education community. There's a group on Facebook that I got added to by a friend of mine who does uh, games, game and play for an edu in education in New York. And it used to be called The Tribe, and they just changed the name, so I, can't, I don't remember what it's called. But it's all educators who use games in the classroom. And then, then they started pulling in game designers, and then they started pulling in game professors. So it's now this huge resource that is happening. And now, because of this, like, things like Metatopia and these kinds of panels that bring like-minded people together, then we start developing other things. So like I'm doing uh, two conferences in the spring, one at Manchester and one at Hampshire one-day conferences that are about you know diversity in games and media to show visibility like what are games they're not just video games they're also board games there's also this but also to show you know give give people a different impression it's not just you know white men who are designing games and are designing games like Monopoly it is games that teach games that that help you work through trauma, games that are fun, games that teach you something about another country, you know. So it's up to us to continue this momentum to build these community systems that we can then call upon to back us up when we say, hey, I have I wanna I wanna bring education and games together in the school system. And they say to you, well, who's backing it? Like, what's, what do you have? And you're like, oh, well, I have, you know, suddenly I can call upon like these 37 different people that their names have some sort of value to these people. And be like, oh, well, so-and-so and so-and-so have backed this and tell me that, that this is a great thing and here's their documentation. So unfortunately, we are, we have to build this community. It's not already set in place and we have to make the systems like we have. I think if there's a community that's going to do that, that was going to be educators. I mean, we spend our we spend our entire careers fighting against the upper systems in order to best teach our students. It's if there's one community that has the grit to do it, it's that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a there's a a nonprofit organization called Bodihana. Do you guys know it? And they they run something called uh, Roll for Fear, which is a con a conference that just happened recently in October that teaches, te invites teachers to come for professional training. They're certified somehow, so it counts as professional training, and they teach the teachers how to run and use role-playing games. That's awesome. Yeah. Can you put that on the Metatopia fan page? Mm -hmm. that, the, the Make it some sort of posting? Yeah, post yeah. it on the, the one. The sure, I'll have, I'll have the... Or someone. I'll have my guys do it. Yeah, have your guy do it. Have my guy do it. <laughs> or should have been here. Actually, you know what? I'll give you my card, and you can email it to me, and I'll post it. Did you have a question? Yeah, or maybe just loose thoughts. Um, so I'm an artist, and I come from, and I'm also teaching an undergrad program, which is like an experimental art and film program or moving images program. And we're working with so many similar strategies that, that you do, like in, or I'm more familiar with LARPing. And I was just like, and but and then I'm 
also an African American at the year ago. And I'm just like always having to educate everyone I talk to about marketing in general. So one thing is the educational system, we can look at that as like one aspect. But there's just like also a broader like there the, the mediated image or understanding of what I mean for me learning is is so undercommunicated and so separated from people's imagination. It's so hard for people to relate to. But it is it's you have to like unlearn it like entirely. No, you're we're not only else, you know. It's like you know, I'm I'm more familiar with Nordic Library, particularly having done like just with the love and these things that I'm working on and also my artistic work, but there I don't know, there's just something about how people perceive it. yeah, it's an image problem. <laughs> like also I think so like in Nor there's plenty of research being done in, in the Scandinavian countries and yeah. Europe in general. And like nordiclarp.org yeah. is a, a primary resource to go if you're looking for scholarly articles on role-playing games. Uh, plenty of American um, scholars and academics have uh, very sophisticated journals <coughs> publishing their data. Uh, Maury Brown of Learn LearnLarp.com, mm -hmm. uh, who ran New World Magiscola for many years, has articles on there where she analyzes what went on there, and she's done uh, deep dives into the safety mechanics and the various interesting expressions of play cultures that came together at that event, uh, because. Within LARP, n not many people except us may know what what's going, what that really means. But there are diverse ways uh, that people play, and it's probably expressed in board games and RPGs as well. So the the, cl the conversation is happening amongst the the people making the products and playing them. That's being that we want, and they we're feeding, we're, we're producing self-analysis sophisticated articles, people with PhDs and are writing uh, intense research and self-analysis of what's going on there. So the data is being generated right now and it can be found. Research can be found. Um, so I, I think that is a very positive point, but it ignores a very large negative that is getting smaller. So I also want to work for like, wow, like 15 years now. <laughs> Wow, sorry, just had an old moment. Um, if you go back in history in America, 15, 20 years, there was a definite uh, negative connotation about being a nerd or a geek. And even in that subculture, there was like the stratification and LARPers were near the bottom. Like that's kind of what it was in majority. Um, society has become more accepting of gaming through the popularity of video games, which is kind of branched into um, board and card games, but it hasn't, and it's affected LARP some positively, it hasn't significantly changed the negative social connotation. Like, I'm lucky enough to have the personality where I don't care, I'll go into my Fortune 500 job being like, yeah, I LARP in the weekends. No, I'm not camping in the woods. I'm dressed like an elf and hitting people with stakes. But that's done with the acceptance of whether it's right or not. I might end up having a conversation with HR about, oh, they're not happy with my performance, and now I'll have to lose this job and go somewhere else. Like, yes, this is a thing to talk about. There's also a time and place, and I don't know if now is the time and place to talk about that when LARP is still figuring out what it is, 
and gaming is kind of becoming fully accepted in society, if that makes sense. It makes me feel like LARPing is like being queer. Yeah. And you can't come out at work <laughs> because you're afraid you're going to lose your job. Yeah. How many I, I just had lots of feelings LARP right now, <laughs> and I don't LARP, but I have I have feelings. Yeah. What is but LARP? LARP is live action role play. Oh, but also, I, I mean, I have people like actually like responding, speaking about it in ways where it was like it was shameful, like in Italy, like they couldn't come out. Like, and, and it's like it's like that's like. That was a struggle that I... Ten years ago, I would not be going... Yeah, maybe there should be a... Like, I'm going camping with my friends. There should be a panel about this. We do talk about it. For real, indeed, the hottest growing thing right now is improv. Yeah. So, I was directed improv. So, I was going to bring that up, too, because... And it's interesting, Jennifer, that you liken this to being queer, because LARPing gamification, all of this is stuff that we have been doing for decades in the industry. We are just not using the same language that everyone else is using. Yes. So, you know, you go back to Mock UN and Debate Club and Persuasive mm -hmm. Writing and all of those activities that teachers are using in the classroom, a lot of it is LARPing it's just not being called LARPing, it's being called educational role play. The military's LARPing all yeah. the time. Yeah, exactly. The doctors are exactly. LARPing all the time. <laughs> yeah. and they're, you know, and, so, you know. finding, a, finding a language to, I don't, I don't want to say give up LARP as a term, but if LARP has so much negative connotations applied to it that you feel like, like you're coming out every time you talk about it, then perhaps we should look at the terminology that we could use to make it more accessible. This discussion has happened and we've decided to keep the word. Okay. <laughs> and that's what we decided about being queer too. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> rock on. We took that word away from them. Yeah. So we have said but it's ours. an issue also that there is no way of accessing it because it's also an issue of, of access. So if you have never LARPed and you will not participate, is there ways in which we can show what LARPing is without you having LARPed? Is there a way of making like work about it or like showing, like giving access to it so it can Daytime be understood? It's so, well, there's, it's, it's a good there is a lot of, um, uh, there's a burgeoning industry of entertainment businesses here in the United States that are happening, and I know a lot of them are now integrating, and it's not just like going to Dave and Buster's and playing a bunch of video games. It's, uh, my partner is actually um, have, is opening up a game cafe mm -hmm. where they will have RPG nights and also do uh, LARP events also to try to build up that industry. And it's, um, it's just a question of like, you know, I, I joked about coming out of the closet, but it's a question of being more visible in, in I don't want to say positive ways, but just regular ways, like, like in everyday ways. Like, you're not going to get a TV show that's going to show LARPing the right way because people are, like, TV shows are not going to do that. But if you build a community, you start in a place, even if it's just one place, and you build events that gear towards a multi multitude of people that are inclusive of the people who are not doing it, then you could possibly get that. And you wanted to yeah, check. Yeah, schemes that way. I have bigger ground from Eastern Iowa. Um, a quarter games on demand based off uh, games on demand model. And we have a monthly event called Playing in Public that we have been doing just in gaming stores. Because a lot of gamers we know, role-playing gamers, just play in their homes. So it's just like a secret thing. So, uh, and then recently, the last few months, we've been playing at the local public library. Almost every librarian there has an RPG group. So we've been real. That's been our best effort. Just sort of happened kind of with one of them on Facebook said, "Hey, we'd like you to come out and play in the library," and that has been really great to help 
also I think there's a cultural shift. We're getting younger people who've grown up where it's socially acceptable to play. And I think that's also been really nice for our I brought my daughter, my son and my daughter to uh, Dreamation last year, the first con they've ever been to, and my son was like, I only want to play this one board game, and my daughter was like, I don't want to do anything. And my daughter is in theater, and my partner was like, you should do a LARP, and she, my daughter looks at me and she's like, well, what's a LARP, are you going to do that with me? And I'm like, no, <laughs> I won't do it, but luckily my partner does those things, and they went, and I watched a few minutes of it, and I'm like... This is where you get people, like how you make it normalized. If you want to make it so it's no longer like, oh, you camp in the woods and, and that's what everyone thinks about it, then introduce it to their kids first. You know, and I'm not talking, you don't do LARPs that are like, that have be like uh, uh, trauma or triggers or things like that. You do LARPs that are geared towards families and you let, you make it something that is accessible to them. And then once it's accessible to them, then people are more likely to use it. And going back to the whole education thing, because that's why we're here, is that you can reach out to public schools and public school teachers and see if maybe you can run an after-school program or run a summer program or do a one-day workshop where like, the teacher works with you to develop that for the classroom. And that will help bring it out of the shadows, I guess, into some sort of more acceptable way because being a nerd now is cool and acceptable. And, you know, everyone wants to be a nerd, sort of, until they actually are a nerd, and then they're like, no, I don't like this anymore. But even that, the language around yeah. it, too, is, you know, so part of the other programs that I'm an educator in are business programs, and we have nerd business or nerd entrepreneurship culture, which is really just... Is it called that? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's listed in the course catalog. Um, I don't know cool. if it's in the course catalog, but <laughs> okay. that's the language that we use in in the classroom. But it's really um, it, it's intended to be more of those contract based career opportunities where you're doing a contract for a couple of months with one tech company and then you're moving to the next one. But then there's also an aspect of it where we're bringing in like ride sharing and delivery sharing and that type of stuff where companies are getting creative around it and they're using the word nerd to get creative around it and that's you know that's slowly working its way into business um, so I also work I have a background in design marketing but I'm in, in the entrepreneur startup community for the past six years and all of this talk whether they call it gamification or not is part of that culture that business culture mm -hmm. uh, that's related to manufacturing technology and I see every year it's sort of spreading into the sciences into other areas art as well so it's just it's sort of happening I think the people who are missing out haven't made that connection to there's another adjunct or there's another person who can help them uh, get get some of these ideas into their classroom by saying hey Joe in the small business development center has tried this and it's worked I think there's an easier way to leverage this. You just have to be more strategic. Yeah, I would say those of us who are out there, most of you should step up and declare yourself as the nerd of your organization. <laughs> Everyone should come to you. That's how I'm known at the school I work for. You know, if a kid has an interest in this topic, the teachers all send them to me. And that's how, that's how it... In fact, I'm going to get my, my autistic kids LARPing by, by the end of this term.
But with that, there's, you know, and, and you do therapy as well. Um, I was a therapist for a few years before I got into education. Um, there, the, one of the core principles of therapy is you meet your clients where they're at. You talk to them in their language. You let them know that what they're experiencing is fine. And then you hold their hand to bring them to where they need to be. And that's just a really good principle in any industry, in any life, where you're talking to your administrators, you're not using the word LARP. You're using the word you know, gamification. Yeah. You're, you're t speaking their language. You're Actually, saying, this is what we're doing. And then when, when you, you get your kids in the classroom and they're playing around and, you know, I don't know if they want to hit each other with foam swords, then you drop the word LARP with them. And then suddenly they start realizing, like, oh, this is what LARPing is, and it actually is fun. Your administrators don't need to know that that's what you're doing. <laughs> well, I do want to. I want to point out that other parts of the world, like, I'm glad we have um, this lady, young, this little woman, here, uh, this person here. Um, in Norway, I've been told that almost half the country LARPs, or at least knows someone who does. Is, would you say that's the case? Is that a rumor that, that's been spread around? I don't know half the countries. <laughs> but I think it's like, yeah, but I still think there's some kind of weird ideas of what that means. But there are also other forms of LARPing, which isn't LARPing, or like there's a big Viking, like, LARPing, which is not LARPing. Like, there's many other kind of sub, like, cultural. Like reenactment uh, groups? Yeah, but not like straight. My sister is into that. But they're not reenactments, but there are other ways that people can refer to it. But I'm not sure. I think actually in Denmark it's like bigger also because of this little discrepancy of me, and they have like an actually dedicated school to. Okay, I don't want to. I don't want to call out Scandinavia as like the mecca for us nerds, but I, I do want to. I think we're all sensing that there is some kind of critical mass point that we we're reaching. At least if we're not there, we're coming towards because like D and D is now pervasive and known. If you want to say what it, what am I doing with the kids? I guess we're playing D and D, but I'm not going to run that game. I'm going to run something more exciting. I played around Halloween. I ran Dread for for my kids, and they were so engaged in the tower. They loved it, and uh, it kept most of my. Uh, it kept them from, from being scattered, and it, it's tactile, which is really good with the autistic population. It's a perfect thing to to play. With. And that's, that's exactly it. Like you say, I'm gonna play D&D &D with you, and everyone knows that that's a role-playing game. And some people will be like, it's actually D&D, &D, but some people will be like, oh, Dread is fine. And if you don't know what Dread is, it is a, a horror-based role-playing game with Jenga, which makes me incredibly anxious. So I don't ever play it because Jenga makes exactly. me anxious. The mechanic is yeah, powerful. Yeah, yes. yeah. So I, but I showed it in class for my students, and I was like, this is making me anxious just setting it up. You know, so, Using terminology, like the terminology that we understand here at a game design convention may not be the appropriate terminology to use in an education setting or in a professional setting or in a community building setting where you're trying to work people up to that. So I guess the challenge is, is that we all start thinking about how do we translate these terms that we understand as, as givens into terms that, that are not scary for these people so that we can build them up to you know, well, we just call it LARP. And you're like, what? I thought LARP was this other thing and not this really awesome thing we've been doing. Nope, this is LARP too, you know. Not just not scary, but not diminutive yeah. too. Yes. That sounds like a game to me, 
right? Yeah. You're scaffolding, you're leveling, you're, you're transitioning yeah, players life. into that experience. Life is a game. I mean, yeah. that's what <laughs> and, and, and that's what I'm here asking that question is like, how, how are games currently shaping society? And how can we more deliberately shape society with games? And I haven't heard that question from very many others in Metatopia. Now that I'm not criticizing Metatopia, I'm, I'm just trying to say, what can we do to bring this game community into into the light with that question? Do you want to answer that, or do you want to? Is there something else do you want to say? It's on both a little bit. So okay, I'll, then you go, and then go, I'll, going back to you were saying, um, doing it in the classroom without even calling it that, and uh, I was just wondering maybe to uh, meet with what Adam's asking is that uh, have we taken something like something you would do in a classroom without telling them that and and ask someone who is a business expert or or um, a teaching expert and say how would you describe this without using any of the hot buttons and start to use their language because people respond when you speak their language and they respond in a very different way in a resistant, defensive way when you don't speak their language. It's team building retreats for business. Like if like you want you you want to bring games into business, like to teach people how to work together, is we're gonna go on a team building retreat and we're gonna work as a team to solve these problems. And it's team, 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 like sports because people can relate to sports. But we're doing games, and those games are used to teach people how to work together, how <coughs> to deal with issues, how to how to interact. But I'm not sure. Is that like what I'm hearing from you and your question is like how do we build games that teach? Is that or that that teach something. I'm, 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 so if the if the learning objective for the people we're interacting with, whether they're business or education, is that they see the game mechanics in their everyday lives and start mm -hmm. to make connections between how you can be deliberate about the, the games you're playing. Capitalism is a game. We have to deliberately play it to get these games into schools. How do we? If that's the learning objective, how do we build games that level people up and into? that sense, that, that framework, that uh, lens. At Northeastern, we have this really great framework. It's, they, Northeastern has put millions of dollars into this. Um, but the idea behind it is it's a self-authored learning experience. And it's taking experiences that are happening inside the classroom and experiences that are happening outside of the classroom and relating them to each other. And so there's something like 55 different skills or dynamics that you, when you record one of your experience, you click one of your experiences down, you click on what those skills are that were part of that experience, and then you will see how it maps itself to all of these other experiences that you have. Um, it's a technology that it's proprietary to Northeastern. So it's not accessible yet. It's not accessible yet, um, but I will tell you that we've been using it for about three years now, and we have private businesses that are offering us lots and lots of so money the next to be able to use that. Yep. <laughs> but you know, the, yeah, the idea behind it is I have this upcoming professional experience um, that I'm nervous about and I go back to my game design class and we've learned about the way systems work and the way the economics of this game worked and now I can relate that to this and, and really the, the, the tool itself is to just make those connections well, for can you. I, 
Is that, that's not clear. Tim, are you say, do you have a, this resource, is it like a database, a searchable database? Is that what you're... Um, so for each individual. So it's a database of your experiences and of your moments in the word, the term they use is moments uh, that you have had, that you can say, I have this upcoming thing. Um, it involves networking. Now let me take a look at, oh, that time I went to Metatopia and I went to that panel on networking. What did I learn from there that I can now use here? Um, unfortunately, there's no way to, f to get everyone to do it, to do Wait. what you're talking about. So, you know, the places that are doing it are starting to do it, and like the software you're talking about is something tangible that people that, that businesses can latch on to. As a, as a college professor, you know, like at Hampshire, we have Hampshire College itself does their teaching in a way that, that encourages that. So students have to do uh, CEL credits, which are community engagement learning credits, and they also have to do multicultural um, uh, multicultural something, and I forget the, the, the word, the letter that was left for that one, but the, it's built into that system. So then when I go to the community college where none of that is built into the system, I'm like, well, no, let's build that into the system. So uh, at college level, there is both a lot of autonomy and not a lot of t autonomy about building these kinds of systems because it's based on whatever funding you can get and whatever you can get past your department or whatever. Whether you're public or private. So private school, I can teach anything I want every semester. Public school, I have it has to go through like a year and a half of vetting before it goes out, and I have to word it in a way that it's just like like I use my game skills and be a rules lawyer and just you know word it in a way that works. And it's it's I am playing the game at that point. And so when I play the game, then I play the game to the benefit of my students at the community college to bring to them things that this pub, this this private school has. So we're all doing these things as individuals. And my hope is that we have more and more of these engagements and we have more and more of these professional developments that link education and, and gamification together so that we can bring we can bring people together so they can start using their understanding of their systems to bring it forward. You want Do you know how many uh, school systems are now using RPGs or board games in their system? There is no record, like like public record of that. It's all anecdotal information, meaning that people have posted about it or talked about it. Um, is there any organization that could help us, for example, get into there, other than the school board superintendents and everything? What are you saying exactly? exactly are you that. like a game designer and you want to get your game into a school? Yeah, school or something. It's an ed educational game that's it could be very beneficial for teachers with their students, or it's a family game also that could teach families about the country. What I would look at is the National Education Association, the NEA, I think it is. It's been a while since I was licensed for public school. And they have conferences and they have a ton of like professional like demonstrations and stuff there of new software and new things. And see if you can get into one of those conferences to get your foot in the door. There are also a lot of subject matter specific, like there's the National Council for Teachers of Mathematics, uh, there's a similar thing for English teachers, like there, there's scores of educational institutions, both practitioner and research. Yeah. In, in Canada we have, there's a company that has storefronts that teachers get a membership in to shop at, yeah, exactly. and they can buy, do you know which one yeah. I'm talking about? Uh, we have one in Quebec also. Yeah, so they're all they're probably across the country. Do you guys have something similar in the states? 
No. Well, like a, like there's a, a private there's a private company called Pearson that no one <laughs> no one wants to do any of their stuff with. Okay. Because uh, it's the United States and it's not about the benefit of the students. It's about the benefit of their pocket. Yep. I mean, the other the other thing to remember about the United States is that even even in the current era of um, you know standardized tests and, and statewide curriculum standards, we're still much less top down and standardized than other countries, and so you know part of part of the like go to the individual teachers is is because in some ways the power is kind of bottom up. In other ways, it isn't. Well, there are two systems that are working on, like, are you going to affect an entire state's curriculum with your one game? Probably not. But can you go to 50, 100 teachers and say, hey, this is a classroom activity for you? That's a lot more feasible. I mean, if you went to 50 teachers and gave them 50 copies, and you seeded that, those 50 teachers in a variety of locations, through word of mouth, if it works for them, they're going to tell their, their colleagues, and those colleagues are going to be like, well, where can I get a copy? And then you can, then they can, you can figure out how to, how to make that work. But to get games into the classroom in the public school system, you have to seed it like, like and cultivate it. You, Pretty interesting discussion. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, a lot of negative about U.S. appropriate. But uh, what what uh, are there are there are the best examples of games in education? Things that have had some measure of success that you would point to? Not in the commercial sense. I know like tenograms do really well in public schools and elementary schools. Um, and then again, what you were saying before about technology—they're moving everyone to Google, like to Chromebooks and to technology, and away from physical, physical games. So I don't know. Those are generic. In many ways, yeah, specific. No, I don't. I, I, I don't. Well, is your question like a specific game that has made or it company way, or yeah. a company? Um, I mean, there are educational game companies. I can't think of any off the top. I mean. They're going through like Scholastic and Pearson, yeah. you know, and at that point, it's all about the money. And not like really Hasbro or something like that, the games? So Hasbro does make games. I mean, they, they don't have a specific educational, like, they're not just educational games. They they make everything and own Magic the Gathering. I mean, so therefore, they, they own lots of different things. Um, and again, they're all about the money, too. I've yeah. seen some great educational games, but in terms of having... Public schools accept them or use them? Not That's very much. There's no like standard if you are going to teach this subject, here is the board game that you're gonna bring in to teach it. Yeah. That, that is unfortunately not oh, there, there are yeah. some there are some efforts to produce such a resource. Oh absolutely. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree that that should exist. We're working on it right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's you know, not that I know of anyway. It's I not mean, out but there. the but the plus side of that, you know, because you're you're saying where's the plus side? The plus side is in a system where it's a little bit less standardized, there's more room for, for your little game and your little game and your little game to get a little bit of traction. If we can get any of them in. Right, but, but, but that's the, back to the like, you get them you in know, at the get teacher in a few teachers kind of thing. You know, you, you, can't, you can't get the state to mandate all the teachers to do your curriculum, but on the other hand, if, if that were the case, then you'd all be in competition with each other. Yeah. For, for well, I, one. I don't have any specific game I'm trying to get in. I hear other people do, 
but I'm very interested in the schools accepting games for all that they provide in the learning process. It's, it's gaining great popularity, right? We have, I'm sure kids across the high schools are forming their own role-playing game clubs on their own. Game and they're clubs. often, they have to be supervised by some teacher, or someone, hopefully, who understands the, the medium. And uh, at the school that I was at the last few years, they didn't have someone like that, but then but now they, they have me, and it's the case in some other schools. There also is a, a, a community community building, so game developers and game designers and game professionals in the community who want to start building the into the education community do stuff like that. So Game Cafe, uh, that my partner has worked uh, doing and worked at previously at Game Store, they ran after school programs for elementary students. And uh, we get like one day workshops for high school students to do game design, like, like, an like analog game design. Um, the college I work at during the summer, I work in something called Excursions and Learning, and I teach fifth to eighth graders how to design 2D games, uh, analog games, and 3D models. So there is an initiative in places to bring, to bring children into, into the fold of games, but to, there's no standard way of doing that. There's no like push down from the government to say, do these things. The only thing the government is saying to most of these people is, pass these tests so we have a number that we can say that you are good enough. Yep. So that's why you have to go to the individual teachers and to the individual organizations and the communities around them to try to develop a, a wave of interest or a, a, a impetus for it to go further. I think you'll find very few teachers who are resistant to introducing games into their classroom. Um, it's just going to be whether or not your game is teaching something that meets their learning outcomes. Whether or not your game is teaching something that meets their learning outcomes. And if they can take on one more thing at this time. Yeah. I just I wanted to ask, there's 30 or 40 billionaires who've signed the Giving Pledge and put education as one of their top themes. There's Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, there's the Gates Foundation. Has anyone in your orbit talked about getting into those programs or connecting with that? wealth that's being funneled into this problem. It will be soon. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're working on it, because a lot of the programs I'm working on are new, so we're just starting, and we're starting at the local level for funding. So the local level to get, um, get people to see that we exist. So this conference that I'm doing in uh, the spring in Connecticut is to bring attention to the community of of the educational opportunities and the professional opportunities and the visibility and then the next step after that is to get funding from the foundation that supports that school and then after that from the state and then after that to private funds. Yeah, we have one minute left. Did you have a question? Yeah, I did have a question, but uh, maybe it's true. Right. Oh, ask it. We got no, a minute. I was because I'm, I'm, I'm kind of most confused by the conversation because there seems to be some kind of interest in the commercial success of games accessible everyone and it's like for me i mean i'm coming from a very different place and there's something very specific i want to design like uh, a day game for my um, my students called the crit class to like uh, investigate how like phallocentric kind of a crit has been uh, with the idea of a meister teaching the younger artists to become so but so that's very specific and i'm, I'm thinking also like not all sixth graders are the same and like there's something i mean you work with autism, you know what that game kind of needs to entail. So this like this broad, this idea of this broad, all of the six 
coordinators or like I mean so maybe it doesn't need to be reaching everyone at every time but there needs to be a specificity of who it's reaching at what point and what the, the kind of goal of that reaching is which is very different from a commercial success so yeah like everyone in this room all of you have a duty to advocate for increasing um, our hobby in in your where you where you are wherever you are because I think we all agree that it's awesome and we need to spread the word so advocate but then my question was also more to you guys who are teaching in like higher education are you designing games or doing games playing within your classes or yeah. like oh. So there is a literacy component to teaching games, yeah. um, and students need to know games before they can start designing exactly. them. And you can stand up there and say, here are all these wonderful yeah. mechanics, and they're going to be like, what? And then when they actually put them on the table and start playing them, there's that. So you <coughs> actually play with your students? Yes. Have you designed specific games to work with your students? No. Because I have two full-time jobs, but I play test my games yeah, as part of the experience with mm -hmm. my students, um, and also I make I to their uh, dismay I make all of my digital students paper prototype their games okay. like uh, analog games because a it's cheaper and b it teaches them so much about game mechanics without having to sit in front of a computer screen. Yeah. So. As a game educator, we have to the students have to know what we're talking about, so we immerse them in that, and then we have to have them do, try it and then critique it and then go back and edit it and revise it. Um, so there's a lot there's a lot of immersion. That's also very interesting if you think about academia as like an also an academic teaching of that way of teaching so lectures. No lectures. I design broken games for my students to okay. play and have them fix it. Um, that's the pretty much the extent. I mean, I design classroom-based activities, you know, that are that use principles of game design. Um, but as far as like a specific game that I can put in front of them, it's here's a game, let's play it, let's talk about the problems. And then I also threw that model receiving feedback and all of that so they can <coughs> Cool. I want to take your class. <laughs> um, so we're out of time, uh, but I have a few minutes to talk to people if they want to talk after the panel, um, but I'm not going to force people to stay in it. It's lunchtime next, so there's not something else in this room. And a lot of people are leaving anyway, so. Thank you. Thank you all for coming and, and, and like, interacting with us in this discussion. Yeah.